back again with another episode of Dad Teaches Me About Wine. I am Madeline Quigley. And I'm Matthew Quigley. Oh, well, hello. And we're here, episode seven. Did you think we'd make it to seven episodes, or do you think I would um, abandon this like most things that I abandon? No. I thought since it represents a uh, inconvenience to me that you yeah. would persist in it. <laughs> exactly. That's it's not true. an inconvenience to you. Um, so uh, how's it going? How's, uh, how's it? <laughs> Everything's fine. Um, um, how about today's topic? Yeah, Dad's like, jump into this. I'm actually posting an Instagram right now. Everyone should follow our Instagram, Dad Teaches Me About Wine podcast, um, because I opening this wine, I ripped the cork in half. But still got it out. So, oh, and there's one other thing. I was editing our podcast from last time, and I realized that had I listened to this episode first before starting at the beginning, I actually wouldn't know. We have, even though dad, my dad is convinced we're moving at a, a snail's pace, I was hearing things that we were saying that I wouldn't have understood if I had first listened to this episode. So I'm just going to encourage everyone, as I say with every podcast, I think it's ridiculous to jump into a podcast at the most recent episode. Go back to episode one. That I think listen to it from the start if you really want to start your wine education. And then bin, binge listen. Yeah, binge listen. Um, forget all your commitments and just sit down. I've done that with podcasts before. Yeah, you can turn off the volume for Stranger Things yeah. and just watch the pictures. <laughs> listen to my dad's <laughs> reference here to did not expect that one. <laughs> awesome. Okay, cool. See you at episode one. What Should we start with what we're drinking, though? And cheers. Have you had a sip yet? Yes, I have. Okay. Uh, we are drinking. Do you want me to go? Oh, Dad. Okay, I'll go grab the bottle. I, I know what it is. Well, go ahead, then. It's a, it's a Zinfandel from Vinovsky Winery, which is a Pittsburgh winery. And the good folks at Vinovsky were kind enough to send us the this wine for us to try so thank you cheers cheers to you guys um and it's a zinfandel from zinfandel not dale oh really zinfandel i have definitely been saying dale like my whole life uh from california lodi well it's uh it's bottled in lodi that's what the label says in their website the grapes are drawn from uh, Napa, Sonoma, and a couple of other places. So the actual appellation on the bottle is California. California. So it's a California <clears throat> Zin, but their tasting room is actually in uh, the Pittsburgh area. So they, I think the owner has a connection to the area, and so he makes his wine in Cali and then sends it over here. Uh, so what, what do we think of the... Well, I guess the the topic, the connection to make is that this is a good wine to be drinking for today's topic, which is... California in general and Napa Valley in specific. Yeah, I think we're going to just... We've done a lot of topics on like, um, you know, what is what is a varietal and, and what how do you read a wine menu? But today we're going to kind of hone in on an area, especially one as high profile and, and famous as Napa Valley and kind of explain like an area and what that even means. Um, probably get really sidetracked in the process, but so having a California wine, uh, makes sense for this. What do we, how do you feel about it, dad? I think it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about the wine? How do I feel about the wine? I think the wine is a reasonable expression of the Zinfandel grape. So the Zinfandel grape, uh, was 
much maligned early on because it was the source of so-called white Zinfandel, which um, sort of was a craze uh, maybe 20, 25 years ago. And it was a blush, very sweet blush wine made from uh, uh, the Zinfandel grape, which at the time had no other use. Um, Zinfandel was a uh, brought by the um, Italian um, settlers to the California area because it's uh, basically the same grape as the Primitivo grape, which grows naturally in Italy. Okay. So they brought it over. So they had all this Zinfandel, but at the time, um, there was no market for red Zinfandel. Why? Um, the taste had not been developed yet. Nobody, I don't no get, one wanted it. That doesn't make sense to me because I'm just like, no, I just feel like if you like want, like, it doesn't taste that different than other, like, do you know what I mean? It tastes so different that no one's going to buy it. Well, it wasn't, um, it wasn't distributed. It didn't have uh, a, a big wine house label. And at the time, the California wine industry was really just getting going. Mm-hmm. So you, you had uh, some of the pioneers there such as Mandavi, um, but um, the name escapes me at the moment, but some company made a zillion dollars in a short period of time by making these, what are termed, blush wines, meaning that you uh, sort of semi-press the... Um, is that the same as a rosé? Well, a rosé is can be made um, from... Uh, semi-press? Yeah, the short answer, I, I guess I should say, is yes. I mean, it's a red grape... That's only pressed partially so that you get a pink uh, juice. And the fermentation process wasn't allowed to finish so that the wine had a lot of uh, residual sugar in it. And it was really an entry level. Yeah, you occasionally will find it now, but it was kind of an entry level wine. White Zin, yeah. So uh, eventually that went away, and a lot of serious winemakers decided to start. kind of messing around with the Zinfandel grape, uh, specifically a woman by the name of Helen Turley, who turned out some really outstanding Zinfandels, and all of a sudden Zinfandel was, was Where, on the map. What, what area was she in? Um, Napa and Sonoma primarily, but also I think in the central um, area of the state, um, in, the, uh, in the hot areas like Lodi. The owner um, told me that their roots are like 100 years old. The rootstock, yeah. They, so they were probably they were probably uh, pre-prohibition. Um, yeah, that's uh, what he pre-prohibi- was prohibition vines. So what, I, I think we should use that as an entree into talking about different parts of California and uh, California. And yeah. The, so you gotta throw in a you gotta throw in a Frank Sinatra song at the beginning of last episode. Maybe I'll find a. Yeah. Uh, some some song to throw in at the beginning. Um, so California, very famous wine destination, wine producing area that we have talked about in the past couple of episodes about how just because it has California on the label, that doesn't mean it's good. In fact, if it has California, just a very general term, the more specific someone can be, the more specific they're going to be. So just because it says California, that could mean anything that could mean like random grapes from the middle of the state 
Right. So just like in my business, which is surgery. You've said, is this the applied geography and that? Yes, it it bears repeating. I, okay. (laughs) Wherein surgery is applied anatomy, knowledge of wine is applied geography. Never heard that one before. Good. (laughs) So you need to maybe even get out a map and look at California. So California actually has a number of AVAs which are American Vinticulture areas, which are areas recognized by the Bureau of uh, Tobacco, Alcohol, and Firearms as being something that you can put on the label. Yeah. And it has restrictions in terms of uh, certain size AVAs. It has to be anywhere from 80 to 90% of the grapes have to derive from that locale. It's like a rule book. If you want to be able to put that word on your label, there are certain standards for that word and you have to meet them or it's illegal to call it that. Right. So for instance, you can't call a cab Napa Valley if all the grapes come from uh, the Sonoma coast. Uh, How far are Sonoma and Napa? They are over a, they are next to one another over a very large mountain range called the Mayacamas So they're totally different. So is Sonoma cold weather? No, uh, only as you get much closer to the coast, because the there's also a coastal range which protects oh, most really? of Sonoma as well, until you get way south when the valleys actually uh, come together, and that's at Carneros at the very bottom. So basically, the more specific it gets, the more kind of prestigious usually. Not always, but Always? Well, pretty much, not necessarily pre- prestigious, but more to the fact that it implies quality. That there's, right, it's a quality factor that more care has gone into the wine because. Like I could the, just go grab some of those grapes, smash them in my hand, and throw them in a bottle. But they're like just because they're from that area, I couldn't call it a Sonoma, you know, cab. Is that a thing that would exist? Well, you could if those grapes were from. Sonoma. But the restrictions are more than just like, aren't they usually like, it has to be aged a certain amount of time? Or... No, that's just the French. Oh, really? So for in America, the, the in labeling America, it is, is simply just geography. location. Okay. It is simply geography, and it does not imply what kind of grape comes from it. Whereas in France, the geographic area, if you put it on the label and mark it as a champagne, there are only three different grapes that you can put in there. Okay. So if you decide to make uh, bubbling Zinfandel in Champagne, you cannot call it Champagne even though it comes from Champagne. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. In the United States, if you make wine from, you know, if you make Planter's Punch from Napa, you can call it Napa Valley. So if I literally just made some juicy juice, like grape Well, as long juice. as it's alcoholic, yes. Okay. As long right. as it met the definition of wine, you could call it Napa Valley. So... But California has a lot of different wine-producing areas. You know how many AVAs? Because there's sub-AVAs, but... Right. Um, Offhand, no, there's probably 50 or 60 in California. So you start uh, well north of San Francisco with the Sonoma Coast and Anderson Valley. And then beneath that, you're going to have Napa Sonoma. And then as you head further south, just before the bay, you get to Carneros, which is basically both in Napa and Sonoma. Then you jump 
um, south of the the, uh, the city, and you get into uh, the mountains, the name of which escape me right now, but which is home to Ridge Winery, which is some of the best cab this that is California, Southern California makes. No, we're not even. We're just south of the city. All right, you've already lost me. We're south of, and by the city, you mean San Francisco. San Francisco, right? So you go about another. Are there AVAs pretty much down the coast? Yes. So you go another uh, hour and a half south. You're into Monterey. Shout out Monterey. And within Monterey, you have the general AVA, and then you have the specific AVA of. Pisoni. Santa Lucia Highlands. Oh. And then just south of there, you have Arroyo Seco. And then you go further south and you're in the general area of Central Coast. And there's a whole bunch of... Uh, Central Coast is an AVA? Carries, yeah. It's a very large some, area. there's some sub-AVAs, I'm sure. There's probably some, but I don't recall. And then you go all the way down to Santa the Barbara. Santa Barbara area, which has um, a number of... Uh, Sub AVAs, including one of my favorites, which is the Santa Rita Hills, what it, which okay. is a uh, area for it's a cool weather grape area. So Pino, the mountains. So yeah. those are some recognized areas. But then we've mentioned in a previous episode, and I literally think I might have cut it, cut it out. How there are grapes growing all over the state. Like you can go inland miles and miles and find miles and miles of vineyards but yes. those are ones that are going to be labeled as california grapes because they're not of but there are grapes all over the state but a lot of them are just california grapes they're not like right. you know sonoma county grapes right and that's why you'll see vines no matter where you go in california but you may not necessarily know what wine is being made from them because it's become uh completely obscure because it goes into a bottle that says California. Uh, there's a very large area uh, in the San Diego area called Temecula, which is hotter than hell, which produces grapes. But uh, I think anyone listening to this broadcast would be hard-pressed to say, oh yeah, I've had a wine from Temecula. Is it hard to get? No, it's just they're, they're not in terrible demand. Okay. So do you think... This is if this is too random of a question, you can veto it. But do you think that those people would make more money just selling their grapes to some big person like, you know, Barefoot so, or something? Uh, well, Barefoot isn't American, but uh, really, they could, they could where's sell it. Barefoot? I thought it was like Australian. No, I could be mistaken. I don't. Uh, I don't. I, yeah, mean, I, I, I don't chase after the the jug wines. He doesn't follow the. Yeah. yeah, I don't follow jug wines. But so here's the so here's the economic model. If you're producing, if you're producing grapes uh, that are otherwise nondescript, most of the time, as you say, you're going to sell them to large volume producers, uh, and those producers will bottle the wine under the California appellation. The other way to make a living is to have a, a very nice tasting room and to get on the uh, the tour bus circuit and to sell your wine out of the tasting rooms. And there are a number of... Um, it's like having a bar. It's a, yeah, that just sells your own produce. Yeah, um, um, Barefoot's from Modesto, California. Oh, excuse me, then I, I stand corrected. So, yeah, I am sure that those wines are labeled California. And they're just basically uh, taking fruit from 
Central Coast, Temecula, large areas of the, the you know Central Valley where it's really warm, uh, in order to you know produce varietal wines. So you were explaining. Sorry, I interrupted you with that. So there, you were explaining the different ways that people make money, which is by bottling, marketing, and selling their wine of high quality, right. or to become a tasting room that yes. people visit, and it's basically like a fancy bar or something. Right. But you would never. Is is that what is the decision there? Like, is it just what your energy is? What you enjoy doing more? Like, would you ever have an area in, let's say, a really good pocket of land in Sonoma, and you're like, you know what? I'm just gonna make this a tasting room because I don't have the patience to bottle it, but the wine is really good. Or would you be like, listen, this is good grapes. I have to bottle it. Is there a decision? There? Well, I think, and and I'm I'm going out on a limb here because I'm not. You know, um, interviewed, everybody. interviewed everybody. But in general, if you have great wine, you're going to make a whole lot more money if you distribute it. You think? Yes. So most of the places that are tasting room only tend to be kind of... That's what I figured. Kind of like... not very ambitious, great wines. They tend to be, you know, sort of okay wines. And, and they're in the middle of a, of a wine trek that may include some other big names. So it is, it's able to attract the crowds. And they get kind of into the into the stops of the buses and yeah. the, and the uh, and the coaches, uh, and they can make a living just uh, selling out of their out of their uh, tasting room because there's no expense other than making the wine itself. There's no distribution cost. And I'm sure you the don't markup sales on force. one glass a glass probably covers the bottle. Well, no, I mean they may let you taste it for free or they have a tasting cover charge, but. Yeah, they're they're able to to charge thirty or forty dollars for a bottle that costs them, you know, four or five dollars to make. So yeah, and people actually do go ahead and purchase the wine. Yeah, I mean, you know, there is no accounting for taste. So some people go in there and think, oh, I I love this, you know, Gamay from wherever, and 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 you know, get on the subscription list, and they're buying wine every month. So it, it works. It works for some people. So that's kind of what is going on in, in different parts of California. Correct. We have the high-profile producers, we got the tasting rooms, and then we got kind of the, like, no-man's land. Well, producer. you have a lot of growers that, that that simply just sell. Sell their grapes. Sell their grapes. They're basically grape farmers. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and those, not to not to deride them, I mean, but that's, that's a way to make a living. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of all the difference. So Napa, specifically... Yes. It Obviously, is, it has a tremendous cachet. It, I mean, it has a huge industry, but it is split between kind of everything that we mentioned there. I'm sure. I'm sure all of that is going on in Napa. So to yes. start, can we say exactly where Napa is? Right. So anyone who's visited San Francisco has likely gone on a tour of Napa. You think? And if you remember, it took you quite a while to get there. It's about an hour and a half, two hours north. I think geographically, it's about 70 miles. Because uh, the road kind of slows down once you get a, uh, north of the uh, north of the bay, mm-hmm. so it's geographically north of the uh, of San Francisco, and it's uh, separated from the ocean uh, by a coastal range. And then, if you go, so you from, can't see the ocean if, from Napa. No, 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 no. And as you go <laughs> from, that's if my you job, at, folks, asking <laughs> the dumb questions. <laughs> So if you go, if you look at the map and go from left to right, you have Sonoma Coast, then you have the Coastal Range, then you have the Sonoma Valley, then you have the Mayacamas Mountains, and then you have Napa Valley. So Napa Valley runs 
I'm guessing here, 25, 30 miles south. So there's north, two south. mountain ranges between Napa and the ocean. Yes. So you're really not going to have a view. Correct. And you're not going to have any coastal influences. Yeah. So the Napa Valley, hot, the short of hot, it, is hot. hot. Uh, yeah, I've hot visited, weather grapes. Yeah, I visited there in August, and uh, it was, Toasty. you know, as in contrast to what uh, W.C. Fields said, or no, not Fields, it was... Uh, it was Mark Twain who said, you know, the coldest winter I spent was the summer in San Francisco. Um, Napa Valley is hot, and in the summer it is really hot with temperatures pushing 100 degrees. Yeah. Um, so over time it's been, it's been figured out that the grapes that are grown on the floor of the Napa Valley are warm-weather grapes, and these are predominantly... Um, uh, Cabernet. So, how many? Um, may I ask how big Napa is? Are we talking just in general? Like, are we talking hundreds of square miles? Yes, or? it's hundreds of so square it's really miles. Really big, and there are yes. many, many, many producers in that area. Right, there are sixteen. I looked it up today. There are su- sixteen well sub AVAs. And then there's also areas within there that aren't sub AVAs. Yes, there are parts of Napa that don't fall under the. The, the AVA, that they're just uh, marooned Napa Valley fruit. But so that, all they can put on their label is Napa Valley. So the restrict quality control is kind of like even an idiot could make some decent wine in this area to put the word Napa on the bottle. Well, they an idiot can put Napa Valley on the bottle. Uh, I, I think there is some uh, talent to making decent wine, but every winemaker will tell you is that the the most important input into the wine is <laughs> are the grapes, and you have yeah. to have great fruit to make great wine. And the floor of the Napa Valley in a certain area is a real, at least in my mind, is a real sweet spot in terms of producing fruit that is really world class and uh, reliably excellent. What what does um, do a lot of wines just say Napa Valley then? Only if they can't say the, one of the sub-appellations. Else. And would one of those sub-appellations say blah, blah, blah? Could, what is an example of a sub-appellation? Rutherford. Would, would it say Rutherford, you picked the hardest one to pronounce, Rutherford, comma, Napa Valley, comma, California? Or would you just be like straight Rutherford? It would just say Rutherford because they would, assume, they would assume that if you're looking at a bottle that expensive, you knew yeah, what you were looking gonna at. Yeah, I was going to say because... That, that is one of the most important things I've learned about wine is that, like, if you're going to be the person spending the money on it, then you probably, unless you're just like a baller who doesn't care, you probably know a little bit about wine if you're yes. seeking. If you have that bottle in your hand, you probably know what you're doing a yes. little bit. Yeah. Right. And Rutherford is one of your favorite areas in Napa Valley. Yeah, I consider the three... Uh, Areas, sub-appellations, kind of in the center of the valley, center in terms of between the mountains, and towards the south end, going north-south, as being the the best wine. And I probably shouldn't say this because the prices will go up because of the wide distribution yeah, of this po- our podcast population is in the millions. Yeah, but, we have uh, so many listeners. So th- this is really a um, this you can take this one to the bank. So anything that says Rutherford, Oakville, Yuntville, or Yuntville. And it's real easy to remember. It's Roy. Which is an acronym my dad came up with himself. Oh, boy. 
Yeah, and, and it runs from north to south. So if you look at the map, north to south, it's Rutherford, Oakville, Yountville. Um, if you see that on the label and it's a cab, it's going to be good. Uh, wines that come from this this area are wines like Camus, uh, K. Kaolin, um, uh, Opus One. Uh, these are the big stars of, of Napa. So um, obviously there are a lot of other producers who make wine, grow grapes uh, in that area, and they share a lot of the same characteristics. Uh, Round Pond is another one that isn't terribly expensive. Not cheap, but not terribly expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you really want value, you're going to look for uh, producers from that area that other people haven't heard of. So there, so even in Rutherford, there's like a lot of producers. Yes. Yeah. Like, like mm-hmm. three or like 20. Well, there's not only there's no more like 20 or 30. Oh, and that people can just sell their grapes to someone who can. So there could be unlimited producers if they sold the grapes to yes, a thousand like that, people. Yes. Like that Nichols wine that you were all upset about. Cause that's all it said on the front of the label. Uh, yeah. Like who yeah, do you that, think you are hipster? Yeah. That's, that's not a winery. That is just somebody who makes wine from Rutherford. Yeah, so it's like a really nice wine from Rutherford, and he's like, no, 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 all I'm going to put is nickels on a label the size of a postage stamp. Are you saying again? It's cool. (laughs) No, I mean, are you saying like if you're picking up that wine to pay the money, you'd probably know, but it's like... Yes. That's just, to me, is crazy. Exactly. You have to, right. It's it's a very small following. You know, it's... It's, you know, it's like the people who trekked around the country to follow the Grateful Dead. Uh, I'm sure every little nuance of, uh, yeah, you know, that, that, the band, that the band did or whatever, they were like, oh, wow, look at that. And somebody from the outside would say, so we wore a red T-shirt today. So who cares? You yeah. Know? Uh-huh. That's actually a good analogy, Dad. Well done. Thank um, you. Thank didn't you. Didn't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My so, dad, the deadhead. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you've got... Um, <laughs> So you've got wine being grown in the in the in the floor the valley, which tends to be the, all the hot stuff. So you've got uh, um, those three that I mentioned, and then there's a couple of others, and then you have mountains to either side, and those are broken up into various different sub-appellations, uh, like Stag's Leap. Um, Atlas Mountain. Wait, those are Diamond sub- Mountain. So you could just have on your bottle Diamond Mountain. Diamond, yes, exactly. I've and heard- you'd have to know that that is Napa Valley, Maya Camus Mountains, Eastern Exposure. So, but the, but can I just say like Diamond Mountain is what it's called? Is that sorry? I just remember Diamond Mountain. Mm-hmm. I could see Diamond Mountain and be like, that's the producer. You know what I mean? Well, then you'd be mistaken. But they, but it wouldn't just say Diamond Mountain. No, it no, say the it would producer. be someone's name. It would be Fred the winemaker, and then underneath it would say Diamond uh, Diamond Mountain, and it may or may not say Cab. You you just uh, have to know that all Fred does is Cab, or on the back of the label it may say ninety percent Cab, ten percent. So the only thing it's definitely going to have is the producer, and then the it, producer, and then the locale, and then if it's really special, it's somebody's vineyard. So it's it can be that broken it's, down. It's Joe's, you know, Joe the winemaker, uh, Diamond Mountain, uh, Aunt B- 
Betty's Vineyard. Oh, okay. You couldn't just put any random vineyard on there? It has to be okay? Like, approved? Well, it, it, you'll go to jail if it, 90% of the grapes don't come from a vineyard named Auntie whatever. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So... Um, then we, so now that we've kind of understood that, you know, Napa's big, it has all these different people doing different things with grapes there and what it takes to be called a Napa Valley wine, or even what it takes to be called a California wine, what kind of grapes are being grown in Napa? You said it's mostly cab? No, uh, virtually everything. I think if you looked at, um, I should have done this before the show, but if you looked at acreage under production, Chardonnay may still be number one, although oh, really? Cab is probably number two. But over time, the Chardonnay has migrated more towards the mountainous areas where it's cooler. Because that's the characteristic of mountains is because of the elevation, they don't get as hot as the valley floor. So you're going to grow, you're going to find almost any kind of grape. If you dig enough, you're going to find almost any kind of grape out of Napa. Uh, there's a lot of uh, Sangiovese, which is an Italian grape, which again is, tends to be hot weather. Atlas Mountain has a lot of Sangiovese. Um, you can find um, Sauvignon Blanc, which is a white grape, which tends to be warm. Again, uh, f- floor. Um, so the most common wine in Napa Valley is Chardonnay? I think it may be, but not necessarily what's bottled under somebody's name. If you look oh. at what is bottled under somebody's name, it's probably cab because that's the that's the cash crop. That's where they make their money. I mean, they have On a fancy. there are people there are people getting a thousand dollars a bottle for no way. For, yes way, Screaming Eagle. Yes, yes way. For this, is it that? Have you had anything like that? Uh, no, I've never had Screaming Eagle, but I've had some of the other boutique uh, wines. You know, it's one of those things, um, for the money, it's a little disappointing. It's good wine, but you say to yourself, gee, could I have spent the $500 some other way? Perhaps. Yeah, like giving it to your daughter. It's, it's only, yeah, it's it really tastes good if someone else has spent the $500. Well, I guess if, I, I honestly think sometimes those situations are a win-win, because somebody wants to be the type of person who spends $500 on a bottle of wine and the winery wants $500. So there, win-win. That guy gets to look well, impressive. No, there's a third win in that if you're, and they've actually done studies on this, if you look at a label and decide beforehand that it's a good wine, a certain part of your brain will light up and it will taste better to you than wow. if you didn't know that it was supposed to be a good wine. Is that just wine or is that all things? Because I can uh, totally I a, see I have a feeling being... it applies to anything where you're using a sense organ to figure something out. Oh, yeah. Even restaurants. I'm sure you, oh, this place looks cute. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, this is so good. But if you'd gotten it somewhere else, you would have been like, eh. Yes. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. Sensory input is very easily manipulated by other things because... We're constantly trying to come up with objective ways of objectifying our sensory experiences. So uh, a lot of people find it very frustrating to taste wine blind. They, they gots to know what the wine is. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and to me, it's liberating because you realize what exactly the 
taste buds and your nose is telling you versus what your brain has already decided because it read the label. Mm-hmm. All right, then that makes sense. So that's what they got growing in Napa. And also, so it's pretty far north of San Francisco. But then, so the areas that are making the good, expensive wine, do they also have people coming into taste rooms? Have they become kind of like huge industries? Or there are a lot of people who are just like, yeah, don't, become, don't bother me, I'm making wine. Most of the time, uh, it's turned into an industry. Uh, and the... the, the I, in returning to Napa a few years ago, I was kind of overwhelmed and somewhat disappointed by how it's been turned into um, each tasting experience is quite expensive. So if you go to virtually any named winery, it's like $20 to get in the door and that gets you maybe three tastings. And if you want to taste the good stuff, that's another $20. And it used to be you would show up and they'd pour you the wine and say thank you. And if you liked it, you'd buy a bottle. But now most of the tasting rooms are are very, uh, very much uh, money driven. And they will tell you the reason they do that is otherwise they'd be overwhelmed by the buses and the, and the coaches. But um, That's probably true. It's, to a certain extent, I, I buy that. But on, a, on the other hand, if you're a wine aficionado and a wine lover, it's kind of uh, restricting and disappointing that, uh, uh, and the other thing is a lot of these places now you need appointments, so you can't yeah. just. Well, that's how they should just do just it. Then. Hop on the hop on the bus. And it should just be appointment based. Well, it's appointment based, and then it costs you so. a gazillion. Okay, can I ask one question though that I think could be helpful? If you like, because Napa's kind of like that. Do you have an alternative area that you think that if people like wine, they want to learn more? That's an area that's kind of like Napa used to be, or yes, head south to uh, Monterey. Yeah. Okay. Same, just about the same distance, probably a little closer, a nicer drive down 101, um, and uh, obviously great geography, uh, close to the ocean, great culture, a lot of Spanish uh, influence in the uh, in the Monterey area. Um, so if you're in San Francisco, you, you may want to consider, um, you know, going south to Monterey. And doing wine stuff down there. Yes. As opposed to, and what kind of wines are we growing in cold weather grapes? Right. So it's going to be, as you Pinot. say, the, the Pinot is king in the, uh, in the Monterey area. And, uh, you can discover the, for yourself, the Santa Lucia Highlands wines, and uh, you can uh, impress your friends and mystify your enemies by your knowledge of great wines that no one's ever heard of before. Cool. And you prefer Pinot to Cab? Well, I, I like wines that match what I'm eating. Uh-huh. Um, so if I'm going to have a big steak or something, you know, a, a, a roast with a really powerful uh, flavor profile, I'm going to go more toward a Cab. But in my general go-to wine is... is uh, Pinot's, um, you know, if you saw the movie Sideways, he talks about how Pinot is a very uh, fickle grape, and it's a very feminine uh, grape in terms of its balance and uh, its structure. Whereas Cab is is typically portrayed as very muscular, so Cab is is Mars to uh, to Pinot's Venus. I see. One is cold and one's hot, though. Correct. So the cab is the warm weather, 
And the Pinot is uh, that cold weather. Is cold weather. Cool. Well, I think that was a good kind of overview of everything. Um, what did you think? Well, obviously so, because I was part of it. I'm a little biased. Yeah, you're dead. Yeah, it was enjoyable talking about it. Everything I do is amazing, so I know this was great. Um, That's right. We both get a participation trophy for for this one. Uh, Cool. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to Dad Teaches Me About Wine. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. That will be so helpful to us. Otherwise, our Instagram is the best place for updates at Dad Teaches Me About Wine. And our email for questions, suggestions, and corrections is Dad Teaches Me About Wine at, g- at gmail.com. Let's see if anyone left us a review because I think I said that I would read off. Yeah, let's just see. Dad Teaches Me About Wine reviews. Oh, this was nice. Leah, my parents are winos, but. Oh, they, this is really nice. I wonder if this is my friend Leah from work, <laughs> but I I hope this is, or any Leah, whoever the Leah was who left us a review, that was so kind. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, Heidi Q, who could that be, also left us a review. So thank you, Leah. Thank you, Heidi. And then also uh, Grant left, left us a review. That was really nice of him. Uh, so thank you guys. Um, and uh, cheers to that.